Welcome to the Memorial Sermon Podcast. It's our hope that this message would encourage you in your walk with God and drive you closer to Jesus. For more information about our church, visit our website, nbcmetairie.org. Now here's this week's message. I think that we forget that God's plan doesn't always fit our timeline. God's plan doesn't always fit our timeline. I was reading a a couple of weeks ago in our church's Bible reading plan in the book of Daniel. Of course, I mentioned Daniel. Um, The kids are learning from the book of Daniel. But if you go to the book of Daniel, chapter 2, the book kind of opens up with the king and he's having this dream. And he can't figure out this dream. And in this dream, there's this statue. And on this statue, this statue is made up of all different types of metal. And he doesn't know what in the world that means. And finally, just to make a long story short, Daniel comes on the scene and he says, those different types of metal that that statue is made up, they represent different kingdoms. Kingdom of the head is going to be, the, uh, that's going to be Babylon. Shoulders is going to be Persia. Down, uh, you know, the torso as you move down, that's going to be Greece and the legs and the feet. That, that's going to be the, that's going to be the empire of Rome. And what God was showing even that Babylonian king way back when is that, look, I've got this whole thing mapped out. Centuries, millennia, I've got this whole thing mapped out. And God's timeline is different than ours. God can see centuries. God can see millennia. In fact, 2 Peter uh, chapter 3, verse 8, you know this. To God, a thousand years is like a day. How does that make you feel? It makes me feel kind of small. But it makes me know that He's got everything in control. It lets me know that He's got everything under His plan. And we might be looking in our circumstances, depending on what your circumstances may be. They might be good, might be bad, but in the midst of our circumstances, sometimes we're looking for a miracle to happen. Have you ever been in that kind of situation? God, I just, I need a miracle to happen. But sometimes, this is where I want to go with us today. Sometimes God's providence in your life and in my life is a process. How many times have we said, God, work a miracle. God, do a miracle right here. And there's many times that he does. But there's other times that he's trying to teach us. He's trying to teach us to be more faithful, be more mature. And he says, I want you to go through the process because if you go through the process, you'll come out better and more mature and learn something on the other side. And sometimes that providential process that I'm talking about today doesn't meet our expectations. Sometimes we go into something, we're like, God, I don't don't know what to do. I need you to show up. And he can see, because he sees all of time, something different that doesn't meet our expectations. I'm going to put this video that I saw this week. I thought this was pretty providential this week. In just a second, I'm going to show you a video and in this video, I mean, it's, it's going to move pretty quick, so I'll kind of give you a heads up of what's going to take place. It's a little boy who's got his head stuck, okay? I don't know if you've ever dealt with this as a parent or had anything. And the adults are, he, he wants help. And so the adults get in there, and they're trying to help him. They're trying to do things. I want you to see what happens. Can we roll that video this morning? Thank you. 
okay? I ain't gonna get out. Isn't that interesting? Did you see it? At first, he wants the intervention. He wants somebody to come in, wants somebody to help him, wants some guy to pull the bars apart. He wants the intervention. He wants the miracle, someone to get him out quickly. His dad's trying to help, but what he realized is there might be a process to this whole thing. And if I follow it, I'll still get the desired results but I just got to go through the process. That's what we're talking about today. So in Acts chapter 23, look with me, Acts chapter 23, and we're going to start right here in verse 11. In verse 11, we've been talking about how the Apostle Paul, he's been arrested. He's in Jerusalem. Folks are trying to come after him. It's, it's been a mess. If you want to know more about kind of what's going on, you can go back and listen to some of our previous sermons. But in verse 11, this is the point that I want you to see. The following night, the Lord stood before him and said, have courage. He's talking to Paul, have courage for you have testified about me in Jerusalem. So it's necessary for you to testify also in Rome. And so God's telling Paul, here's the plan. Here's the plan. Here's the will for you. And so that you have testified about me in Jerusalem, that's the capital city of the Jews, and now I'm going to send you to the capital city of the Gentiles. We're going to go to Rome. Now, to many people, God's promise of sending the Apostle Paul to testify for him in Rome, they, they might think, well, that's going to be smooth sailing. I think, you know, God, God's going to pave a smooth path for that to take place. He's told him his will. I mean, it's pretty clear. It's right there on the page. Many, many of you, how many times have you heard someone say this? You know, when God closes a door, he opens a window. How many of you have ever heard that? And sometimes that, that is true. But let me ask you this. I think each and every one of us has been there where God shut the door. He shut the window. He shut the garage. He shut the doggy door. I mean, and you go, man, Lord, all right. You've told me what to do. I feel like you've given me a vision for my life, but man, these doors continue to keep closing. What's the will for my life? Can we trust him to accomplish his plan in our life? God's called you to do such and such, and you don't get into the right school. Or, or maybe the well-paying job just gets downsized. Or maybe there's trouble at home. Or maybe there's a hurricane. Or maybe they close school or send you home because somebody breathed on you. I mean, all of this is the world that we live in. It reminds me of, of, of George Mueller. Do you know who George Mueller is? You need to know George Mueller. George Mueller was a Christian evangelist. He's the director of the Ashley Down Orphanage in Bristol, England. He lived from 1805 to 1898. And I like this guy. He reminds me kind of of our organization because as we've got the fall food roundup coming up right around the corner, you know, and we talk about taking care of the orphans and the widows and all that kind of stuff. He cared for 10, over 10,000 orphans over the season in the course of his life. Isn't that amazing? He was all about Christian education as well. He established 117 schools that offered Christian education over the course of his lifetime to 120,000 
students. Do you think that all of that came easy for him? Do you think all of that, oh man, as many miracles as he experienced in order to have that take place in his life? Let me tell you, there are many times in George Mueller's life that things fell apart. And this is what he says. We'll put this up here on the screen. God delights to increase the faith of his children. That's us. Not children, us as his children. We ought, instead of wanting no trials before victory, no exercise before patience, to be willing to take them from God's hands as a means. A means to what, Pastor Dan? Well, I'm so glad you asked. Let's go on to the next slide right here. A means to trials, obstacles, difficulties, and sometimes defeats. They are the very food of faith. Isn't that good? The very food of faith. And here's what I want us to see today. Is that God is going to accomplish His will in our lives. If we'll remain submissive, faithful, obedient. I don't care what the setback looks like. Because we all experience the setbacks. And I don't care what the setback looks like is that God is going to move in our lives regardless. So today, I want us to see how this played out in Paul's life and then also how it plays out in our life. So we saw in verse 11 there that, that the Lord says, you're going to Rome. You're going to testify in Rome. Well, let's see what happens. So look in verse 12 with me. It says, when it was morning... The Jews formed a conspiracy and bound themselves under a curse not to eat or drink until they had killed Paul. Now remember, Paul is in custody of Rome. He is a Roman citizen, so they can't just beat him within an inch of his life. He, is, he deserves a trial. However, the Jews are saying, you know what? We're going to do what we can to try to take him out. And so you've got 40 of them that are getting ready to conspire. Look in verse 13. There were more than 40 who had formed this plot. These men went to the chief priests and elders and said, we have bound ourselves under a solemn curse that we won't eat anything until Paul is killed. So now you, along with the Sanhedrin, make a request to the commander to bring him down to you as if we're going to investigate his case more thoroughly. But before he gets near, we are ready to kill him. Listen to this. Verse 16, fascinating. But the son of Paul's sister, his nephew, Hearing about their ambush, came and entered the barracks and reported it to Paul. Paul called one of the centurions and said, Take this young man to the commander because he has something to report to him. So he took him, brought him to the commander and said, The prisoner Paul called me and asked me to bring this young man to you because he has something to tell you. The commander took him by the hand, led him aside and inquired privately, What do you have to report to me? The Jews, he said, have agreed to ask you to bring Paul down to the Sanhedrin tomorrow as though they're going to hold a somewhat more careful inquiry about him. Don't let them persuade you because there are more than 40 of them lying in ambush. Men who have bound themselves under a curse not to eat or drink until they've killed him. Now they're ready, waiting for your consent. So the commander dismissed the young man and instructed him, don't tell anyone that you have informed me about this. 
They're getting ready. They're conspiring to kill Paul. So here's what I want you to see. If you've got your notes this morning, I want you to pull them out and write this down. In God's process for us, remember the process for, for Paul is going to Rome. But for us, he might have a completely different process. But in his process for us to do his will, write this down. People may plot, but they can't thwart God's plan. People may plot, but they can't thwart God's plan. Anytime that you are in the center of God's will for your life, there's going to be opposition. I mean... The devil cannot stand you doing God's will. He can't stand it. He can't stand it when, when you are being obedient to God, regardless of the circumstances. And he might send something to you. It might be people, a direct confrontation. It might be a parent. It might be another family member. It might be a total stranger. It might be a coworker, a boss, an administrator. It might be any, anybody, but he might come against you with opposition. Here's what you need to understand. Satan is not afraid of you being successful in the eyes of the world. If you make a million dollars, it doesn't make a lick of sense to him. He, he doesn't mind that. He doesn't mind if you're successful in the eyes of the world. What he's afraid of is your success in, in fulfilling God's work. That's what he's afraid of. Have you ever noticed sometimes can, things can be smooth sailing as long as you don't enter God into the picture? Oh, but man, you enter God into the picture. And now things, now things are a little bit more tricky. And it's about to, to come down in Paul. And while this might seem to us like a coincidence, the Lord knows just how to have a nephew at the right place at the right time to foil a band of killers. And notice, notice God didn't just strike down these 40 guys. I mean, wouldn't that be the easiest way? Wouldn't that be the head in the rails and someone just pulling them open? I mean, wouldn't that be it? All oh, these 40 guys, they're standing in Paul's way of getting to Rome. God should strike them down. You know, doesn't that seem like it would happen like that? Don't we want God to work like that? God, take care of my obstacles. You just move the bar so I can walk right through. But that's not what happened. God put Paul's nephew in just the right place at just the right time so that he could walk through the process. And God does that in our lives too. Back in 2016, I was asked to lead a class uh, through unlimited partnerships that we had here at Memorial at that time at Baylor University. And they asked me to teach this class on church revitalization. I can't imagine why. Being here at Memorial, and things had, had happened uh, over the past decade, and they had heard of what happened here at Memorial. And, and, uh, and so they said, I want you to teach on church revitalization. Come and speak to these other pastors and other ministers on church revitalization. And so they had me come in and, and I got there and they flew me in. It was, it was really neat. And essentially I said, guys, I mean, there's some practical things that I can tell you about. But point number one, if God's not intertwined in the circumstances, you don't stand a chance in church revitalization. If God's not actively intertwined in your circumstances, even if it is a process, 
You and I don't stand a chance, regardless of what it, of what it might be. I was praying during that season in uh, 2011, 2012. Um, I was praying for a, a principal. Our principal had retired. And, and let me just be honest with you. There's different types of prayers that, I, that you have. Sometimes you bow your head. Sometimes you get on your knees. Sometimes you need something so bad that you just get on your face. That was, that was one of those moments. Because I'll be honest with you, I didn't know the first thing about doing that. Now, I knew how to preach and I knew how to teach and all that kind of stuff. I didn't know how to find an administrator for a school. And God just lined things up perfectly 10 years ago this summer for me to meet Mr. Riggs. It was incredible. It happened through prayer. Again, God's providential process. It was amazing. God lined things up perfectly for me to meet Mr. Riggs. We had a mutual friend come in town. His church was helping us with our vacation Bible school that summer. And so he said, hey, I'm in town, Mr. Riggs. We, we, we go way back. Y'all should come and, and let's, let's see one another. We haven't seen each other in so long. Mr. Riggs, was, uh, the, the schools were restructuring. He was in the public school system. And so he was already in the midst of a transition to go to another school. And, and I even had a few people say, you know, you should talk to this guy. You should, you should really talk to this guy. And lo and behold, here we are 10 years later. I'm just amazed how God was putting the pieces together. Now, he did that in our lives, and he did that in our church. But what about you? What about you? It might not look like the biggest miracle to take place, but it is a providential process that God is asking for you to walk through. And so there might have, people might plot, and things might happen, but God has a plan. Some of y'all just need to hear this today. God is not in heaven wringing his hands about any situation in your life. Hear that. He's not wringing his hands. He, God is not in heaven going, man, I really hope that works out for them. God's not saying, man, what is, what is he or she going to do? He's the God who strategically places nephews at just the right place at just the right time. Philippians 1 verse 6, we're going to put this one on the screen because I just think it's so true in applying what we're talking about today. Take this for yourself. Take this, let this be your verse. For I'm confident of this very thing. He, talking about God, who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. So man, maybe life is a roller coaster. It's up, it's down, it's left, it's right. God is in the process of perfecting you. The second thing that I want you to write down this morning is this. In God's process for us to do his will, number two, circumstances may render you powerless, but God gives you his protection. Circumstances may render you powerless, but God gives you his protection. Um, don't you just love the feeling of being powerless in a situation? I just love that feeling. There's no anxiety like powerless anxiety. Paul realizes that there is 40 guys. I mean, it's not like one or two. There's 40 guys who have sworn to take his life. Not if, oh, we, if we see him, if I ever see him, I'm, yeah, I'm going to give him a piece of my mind. And I'm going to take him out. No, they've sworn with an oath that they're going to come after him. And this is where things really get interesting. Notice, what we, we, tell, we see his nephew in the section that we just added earlier. He says, make sure that you go and talk to the commander about that. 
He talks to the commander. Commander says, don't let anybody know that, that you've talked to me. And then look with me in verse 23. In verse 23, it says, he summoned two of his centurions and said, get 200 soldiers ready and with 70 cavalry and 200 spearmen to go to Caesarea at nine tonight. Okay, so let's do a little math. Okay, you don't have to be a huge math major. 200 soldiers plus 70 cavalry plus another 200 spear men with spears. How many is that? 470. Let me tell you, when God comes through, God comes through. When there's 40 guys coming against him, he said, look, I got 10 times that to help you out. Okay? But there's a level of responsibility here. Don't forget this. Remember when his nephew comes to him and tells him there's this plot, there's a responsibility on Paul's part to say, you need to go take that to the commander. There's a lot of times in your life and in my life that circumstances happen and God gives you this little nugget of responsibility to test your faith. He gives you this little task. And I don't know, I can't really describe it. I don't even know how it always works. But he gives you this little task. He says, now you've got to be faithful with this one little thing. This one little thing that I'm asking you to do. And if you're faithful with this one little task, I'm telling you, I'm going to take care of everything. And he uses that task to test your faith. What is that in your life? And so again, we see God's hand in this whole thing. Because Paul has been arrested during the festival of Pentecost, and he's under the, the, the protection and the care of the Roman government. And so had his arrest, this holdup, if you will, not taken place, he would have been a sitting duck. He would have been a sitting duck going to Rome. And now grab this, just grab this concept. 470 guys are getting ready to escort him to Caesarea by night. Now he has, he has the escort fit for a king. Grab that. He's a prisoner with the escort fit for a king. What's your hopeless situation? What's it look like? What does life throw at you or people or the devil or whatever that you feel powerless? Write this reference down. Isaiah 40 verses 28 through 31. Isaiah 40 verses 28 through 31. You don't have to turn there, but I just, I'm going to read it to you. Listen to it as I read it. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God. Remember his timeline, everlasting God the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary. And his understanding, no one can fathom. Sometimes that includes you. Sometimes you don't understand God's ways, but you trust him regardless. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Listen to this. Even youths grow tired and weary. And young men stumble and fall. I got to talk to the youth group this morning because, I mean, I, I, I remember being your age. I was telling them on, on Thursday night that you don't realize what you have. I just want to encourage you with what you have. You can stay up all night long and like sleep it off the next day. Do you know what happens to every other person in here when they stay up all night long? It takes a week to make a comeback. You guys are smiling because you know exactly what I'm talking about. But here, what the passage is saying, even... The youth grow tired and weary. 
And young men stumble and fall. But those whose hope is in the Lord will renew their strength. Listen to this. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. That's whose folks whose hope is in the Lord. Notice it doesn't say those whose hope is in the Lord that they will stay in safe cages like canaries. Notice that. It doesn't say that, does it? Notice it doesn't say that those whose hope is in the Lord are, are sitting on poles squawking like buzzards. Although there are a lot of time Christians, man, we can squawk like buzzards. We're not happy. Notice that it says those whose hope is in the Lord, that they prance around and look good like a peacock. It's not what it says. It says, those whose hope is in the Lord, that they will soar on wings like eagles. Because if you want to soar on the wings like an eagle, you can't be afraid of heights. And sometimes God will take you through the heights so that you can soar on the wings of an eagle. It's dangerous, but your hope and your protection is in the God of the universe. He's got you. So circumstances might render you powerless, but God gives you his protection. Last thing before we go today. In God's process for us to do his will, you may feel propelled in the wrong direction, but don't discount God's providence. You ever feel like, man, I'm just going in the wrong direction. Man, I, I do not feel like I'm going in the direction that God wants me to go you got to remember, God said, you're going to Rome, and he's going north to Caesarea. As we look right here in verse 31, just a few verses in verse 31, it says, So the soldiers took Paul during the night, brought him to Antipatris, and, and they were ordered the next day they returned to the barracks. So essentially what you have here is they're going to do a night, they're going to do a night march. Antipatris is 37 miles away. How, how easy it for, is it for you to walk 37 miles? But here they are, walking 37 miles in the middle of the night. And then after they get to this centralized place, Antipatris, you know, some of them kind of break off. They go back to the barracks. And he goes on with the cavalry the next day. Look in verse 32. The next day, they return to the barracks, allowing the cavalry to go on with him. Verse 33. When these men entered Caesarea and delivered the letter to the governor, they also presented Paul to him. And after he read it, he asked what province he was from. And when he learned he was from Cilicia, he said, I give you, I'll give you a hearing whenever your accusers also get here. And he ordered that he be kept under guard, not in a prison, but in Herod's palace. He's going to stand before Felix. Felix was the guy that later on, you remember Pontius Pilate? Remember Pontius Pilate was the governor during Jesus' time? Felix was the governor during the Apostle Paul's time. Kind of gives you an idea of how these things relate. And so here they are going into Caesarea. And they're not going to Rome, though. They're going in a different direction. And what he doesn't know yet is that even Apostle Paul, he's going to get stuck right here in Caesarea for two years. Does that sound like a detour? It does to me. But listen to me. Just because you go through life's detours doesn't mean you're lost. It doesn't. 
None of these events were outside the realm of God's providence. And when Paul was, even think about this, when Paul was converted on the Damascus Road all the way back in Acts chapter 9, he was struck with blindness, and God speaks to this little guy named Ananias. And Ananias, he tells Ananias, I want you to go to this place and I want you to put your hands on this guy named Saul and he's going to regain his sight. And Ananias, back in chapter 9, now this is the Dan version of the, of the passage, says, um, God, you know, this guy has been killing um, my people. He, he's, he's been killing Christian. He kills guys like me. I've heard of this guy. And this is what Jesus tells Ananias, we'll put it up here on the screen, Acts chapter 9, verse 15. The Lord said to Ananias, go, this man, talking about Paul, is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles, look at this, and their kings, and to the people of Israel. See, God was, even though he took a detour, Paul took a detour, God was still fulfilling his promise all the way back, years before, probably might even been 20 years before, of what he said, I'm going to have this guy stand before kings. He's going to have him stand before uh, Felix. And then later on, we're going to see him stand before this guy named Festus. And sometimes we also, we feel propelled in the wrong direction. You know who else felled, uh, who felt like they were propelled in the wrong direction? I think sometimes we forget this. Jesus' disciples. Jesus' disciples. Think about this. The night that he was arrested, they all ran in different directions. They didn't know what was going on. He told them. They, they ran all different directions. Peter denies him. And then after Jesus was crucified, do you remember what the disciples did? After he was crucified, not he hadn't risen from the dead. Do you remember what they did? They hid. They hid because they, they, they thought, well, maybe we're next. You talk about being disillusioned. I mean, you talk about being propelled in the wrong direction. They weren't propelled in the wrong direction. They just had a little detour, but they weren't lost. The whole time, this was part of God's plan. It was the part of the providence of God to save the whole world. Remember that timeline I was telling you about? What if we go back 700 years? Let's go back seven centuries. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 10 this is what it talks about when it's described, it's prophesying about Jesus. It says, yet it was the Lord's will to crush him. They were going, the disciples were going, what's going on? Isaiah 700 years ago says, it's the Lord's will to crush him. Cause him to suffer. And, and though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, look at this, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And look at this, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. It's all about the will of God. It's all about God's will. It's all about God's plan. It's all about God's providence. Isn't it good to know that when the God of the universe propels you in a direction that you aren't expecting, he does it on purpose. You say, Pastor Dan, I didn't want to go in this direction. He did it on purpose so that he could work his providence in your life. When the road of life is covered in fog, when you wake up, have you ever seen one of these foggy mornings that we get here sometimes? When the road of life is covered in fog and you got to go to the causeway. You got to go to the North Shore in fog. I hate that feeling, you know? 
It's a straight shot, but it's weird. You know that he's already foreseen you getting and you arriving at your destination. And so if you're here today and you're within the sound of my voice and, and you don't have any plans for God in your life, I want you to listen to me carefully. He still has plans for you. Even if you don't want him in your picture, he wants you in his. Just as we close today, I want to put this picture up here and God standing on the side of a, of a river right here on a rock. And I want to put this as we get ready to kind of close our time together. I want to put this mental image in your mind is that God's plans, they're like a river. Sometimes we're asking, what are God's plans for my life? But we're not asking, what are God's plans, period? What, what are God's plans for the world? What is the God's, God's ultimate desire? And so here's what I want you to get in your mind. I want you to see the river here, these are like God's plans. They are flowing. They are moving. They are already in motion. But you have the choice to stay on the rocks or you can wade right in to God's plans. Now here's the thing. You can't wade into God's plans without getting wet. It's all or nothing. It's all or nothing. A lot of people, they, they know God's will for their life. They're standing on the rock. They see, they see the plan, but they don't want to get wet. They don't, want God, they don't want God to have all of them. And that's the choice that you have to make. A way that you do that by giving and trusting Jesus as your Lord and as your Savior, that you, you make Him the Lord of your life. That's the process of just saying, God, take me wherever the stream is going to take me. Take me, but I'm walking in. Cover me and envelop me. So God's providential process includes you. The question is, will you include him?